the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn. We've got a great show for you today. We are, we'll be talking with Rabbi Ben Sion Shemtov, who is the Chabad representative of the Shliach at MSU. And like everybody else is talking, we're going to be talking about the shooting that happened a week ago and the picking up and the aftermath. In the second half hour of the show, we're going to be talking about Purim. Purim's coming up. Yay. It's one of those fun days. We've got music throughout the show. Some of it's Purim-esque, of course. A great story. Purim-related story, yes, indeed. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. An Iranian drone fired a missile at an Israeli cargo ship in the Indian Ocean. Minor damage was reported and no casualties. Israel destroyed a block of flats in Damascus. Five terrorists were killed with a dozen wounded. IDF forces raided Shechem following a rash of terrorist attacks in Jerusalem that left ten people dead. Ten Palestinians were killed. Israel is still feeling aftershocks of the Turkish earthquakes. A tremor measuring 4.4 was felt in northern Israel. A synagogue in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, I think they say Portsmouth, not Portsmouth, and 14 other minority-owned buildings were vandalized with swastikas and Nazi slogans. Police are looking for the perpetrator. Police are looking for a man who hung a Nazi flag outside a synagogue in Boone, South Carolina, home of Appalachia State College. The U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear a petition from the American Civil Liberties Union in the case of Arkansas Times versus Mark et al. 
The case would decide if Arkansas violated federal law by requiring those who contract with the state to sign a statement promising not to boycott Israel for the time of the contract, meaning if you want to work for Arkansas, you can't boycott Israel. The Supreme Court said, we're not listening to this. A lowercase upheld the law, so that's the law. If you want to work in Arkansas, you can't boycott Israel. The flight times between Israel and China just got shorter, if that's on your bucket list, as Oman opened its skies to flights from Israel. The move follows Saudi Arabia's in 2018. There are currently no direct flights between either nations, neither nation, so you can't fly from Israel to Oman or Saudi Arabia, but you can fly over them. And speaking of which, El Al, Israel's national carrier, will increase its direct flights from Miami to Tel Aviv from four to five times a week and will add daily nonstop service from Fort Lauderdale. And finally, there's some really good news to keep looking up. Israel's first space telescope will be launched in 2026, where it will scan the universe for events such as stars colliding or exploding and the impact of giant black holes. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have some music for you. This is a uh, pretty cool song. This is Yaakov Young, who lasted his last attempt at music. Ten years ago, he took a hiatus. I suppose got a little more sure. I like this song. It's called the Shinantam, When You'll Teach Your Children.
Assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shultimin here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Rabbi Ben-Zion Shemtov, who is the Chabad representative serving Michigan State University. We're going to be talking about the shooting that happened last week and the aftermath thereof. How are you, Bensi? We are healing together, thank God, hopefully. Good, good to hear. That's a good good thing to do. Okay, so run it through us. Where were you on that faithful night at about 8 o'clock? Yeah, well, actually, about 8 o'clock is when we literally finished a class at Chabad, which is about a block away from the Union, a block or two from the Union. And actually, most of the class were heading for a birthday party in one of the one of their friend's apartments at the Abbott, which is right across the Union as well. And I got home. And about, I think it was 8, 8, 18 or 8, 13 is when I got the MSU alert text to my phone. Um, actually, right, it was actually, it was a few minutes before that that my wife is telling me, been seeing something is happening. Police cars are just speeding down the street at an enormous speed. Something is happening. Something crazy is happening. And that's when, and that's when about two minutes later we got that text message alert about an active shooter on campus. Uh-huh. How far away are you from campus? So the Chabad is about two blocks from campus, 
and our house is about three quarters of a mile. Uh-huh. So you're in the community, so you didn't have to like lock in place or anything like that, personally. Was there right? Any... Although, go ahead. Throughout, the time, I mean, obviously, we were all listening to the uh, you know to the police scanner all the time. You know, throughout, I mean, it, it, it sounded like he was all over the the, the, the neighborhood, including actually um, the streets that we live on over here. So that is pretty scary. Right up right, right. Okay, yeah. so what were your first thoughts as this is going down, ben, Rabbi Bensi? I don't know. I don't even know if we had any thoughts because it was so chaotic. Both my phone and my wife Simi's phone were literally. I, I've never had such a busy phone before, of nonstop, you know, messages on all like the student groups that were on, you know, parents of current students and both parents of alumni. Just and, and even alumni, you know, themselves just messaging us, seeing both if we're okay, you know, and you know how the students are doing, you know, and what everyone's just like asking what's happening, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in this crazy, crazy time, in this crazy few hours. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really too much time to think about what's happening versus just live, you know, being in that moment, in that bubble. At any time, did you think that you were in danger or your family was in danger? <laughs> actually, when they were actually, they actually mentioned on the scanner that he was right on the corner, because we're actually also on the corner. He's walking by the corner of our house. It sounded pretty scary, but this was already three hours into this, uh, you know, this craziness. I don't know how much, how much more scary we could have gotten, you know, than those three hours of just scariness. Okay, I understand that. But what I don't understand is they knew exactly where he was. That's, that's you know, he's right on this corner, so why, why don't they go get him? I'm, right. That's, something's, something's not clicking with me. It's like we're watching him. Right. We're going to see what he's going to do. Let's see if he goes into somebody's house and shoots somebody else. I mean, it doesn't, right. it doesn't that doesn't, uh, right. some, as we say in the right. it's not clapping. You know, it's, not, it's not jiving. Right. Although to be, you know, the truth is, it wasn't that the police were saying where he was. It was, you know, a different call. It was just hundred, literally hundreds of callers calling in, thinking that they saw where the shooter was, and that's actually what compounded the scariness even more. Is that literally throughout this whole three or four hour ordeal, they probably mentioned on the scanner just about almost every dorm and hall that he was there. You know, any noise that a student heard. It was so scary that they probably just called it in. You know, they, they saw something off or heard something, you know, or heard a sound or thought they saw something. They just called it in. Um, that just made it even more scary, even though, you know, we don't even know if he was actually in all those places. And he, he probably wasn't. But who knows? And, you know, so that just made it even more scary, thinking that he's in my dorm, he's in, he's in Brody, he's in Mason, he's in Snifi, he's in homes, he's in all these places. Meanwhile, he probably was or wasn't there. But, you know, students were literally writing that they're hiding under their beds. And they didn't move for like three hours from under their beds, attempting to lock their doors to their room. Yeah, quite scary. Now, something which intrigues me that you just said before is that you were listening to a police scanner. You, you have a police scanner? No, so this is obviously, it's publicly available to listen 
on you know on a public website where you could listen to you know the police scanner of your area. I think there were actually close to a million views at one point during that you know during that ordeal. Uh-huh, so everyone, both students and parents, and you know everyone was just tuning into it. I didn't know this. It's, so, a, it's publicly available. So to, it, uh, to listen to the so so if. If something goes down anywhere in the in the country, so it's possible to assess a website that will tune you into the police scanner. Yeah, twenty twenty three. That's what it's called. Twenty twenty three. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's the year we're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So Big Brother is watching. So we're so for, I'm assuming then for those three hours, you as everybody else in the greater area were behind locked doors when right. what prompted you and when and uh, when did you and what did you do once you found out that you could leave your house right you know so obviously you know there were there were two sides of me itching the whole time on one hand to get you know to just get out there um and seeing how perhaps you know i could be of help and at the same time, you know, there is a shelter in place. So how could you go out there? So I did stay, you know, in the house. And this was actually about probably about 10 minutes before the shelter in place was lifted. Um, Rabbi Saul Prinsen from Chabad of downtown Detroit actually came up, and you know, to see how he could be of help to me while we both tried to be of help to everyone here and that's when 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 he came here we decided to go straight to sparrow hospital which is right down the street from us which is where they were taking the victims okay so that that your first step was was the hospital right so i could imagine the i could imagine the semen in the emergency ward was uh somewhat chaotic Right. So this, so because this was still a little before the, you know, while we were driving there, that's when the shelter in place was lifted. Um, we actually got to the hospital and we went straight to, I think it was called the, the gathering room where the families were. And we decided to go spend time with, the, you know, with, with the families. Not that necessarily we had something special or, you know, you know, to say to them, it was more to be there as a support, perhaps if they were interested in doing a little prayer, um, just to show that you know that we're here and we're caring for them, and to see you know how we could be of help if we if we can. Are you talking about the families of the five people who were injured during this yeah. raid? Yeah. So those are the people that yeah. were there. The the, the family. Well, actually, not all. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, not all families were actually there. Um, it happens to be that some of the families were locally. When I say locally, I mean either from the Lansing area or from the Metro Detroit area. Um, as well, there was actually an international student. That obviously, his family was not there. Um, instead, there was uh, his friend, this 19-year-old kid, I was there, you know, trying to hold down the fort, you know, to be in touch with the patient's family back home and, you know, to be of help to his friend that was going through surgery. 
um, that was, you know, that was a pretty tough thing to, you know, be around when this, you know, this kid is trying to hold down his friend and, you know, to be in touch with the family because they were trying to get a visa, come to America. Oh, yeah, really. I didn't think about that. So, um, right. So were you? That, that was a very good night, yeah. Okay, so now, so this was you around about midnight, a little after midnight. Uh, exactly, how long? Did, yeah. How long did you stick around the hospital after that? We were there for about an hour. You know, we were with the families. We did some prayers, and then we were, you know, speaking with the nurses. And that after that, probably about one thirty, we headed back to campus. As we were heading back to campus, we were driving by, we were like a minute away from the Jewish fraternity. So I said, you know what? And interestingly, I actually got a text message right then from one of the brothers in the fraternity asking me, you know, what's happening or, or, you know, something along those lines. So I said, are you guys up at the house? And he said, yeah. So I said, maybe we come by and we do a prayer. And that's when he said, you know, let's do that. And he actually reached out to the brothers that, you know, live in, you know, different annex houses to come by. And, you know, within 10 minutes, the house filled up probably most of the brothers. And we did a prayer, you know, you know, a different people shared their experiences, you know, where they were on campus at the time. And that lasted probably about a half hour. Uh, did any of them, this is a long shot, but there's 53,000 students on campus. Did any of them know any of the people that were involved in the shooting? So at that point, they, you know, they didn't even know who was to know if they know them or not. Um, but some of them said that they, you know, that they were friends of friends with, you know, with people that were involved to some, you know, that were involved in the shooting or were in the classroom when that happened. A few of the brothers were, you know, sheltered in place on campus. This is at 8 o'clock at night, you know, so there weren't that many people, in, you know, in classrooms then, although a few of them were um, at the lock in place in the classrooms or at the IM West, which was the gym on campus. Uh-huh. Uh, MSU doesn't have many night classes, I take it, then. Right. Well, there's some labs. Usually have my nights. Okay. So now we're we're up to, like, 2, two o'clock, 2.30 in the morning. Uh, you went home and got to sleep at that point? Yeah, we're up to, the, yeah. Yeah, we're up to 2 o'clock, and after that, we drove to campus. And then, you know, we just parked our car, and we started walking around. We met a few students actually that we knew and we just spent some time with them you know just being there you know just standing there with them that was about probably about 25 minutes to half hour and that's when we you know that's when we decided you know to you know just to head back home for the evening mm-hmm. <laughs> for the evening mm-hmm. um you know obviously couldn't get that much sleep yeah, understood. Okay, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Rabbi Ben Sion, Rabbi Ben Shemtov from Michigan State University. He's the Chabad Shliach. There, we're talking right now soon about the aftermath of the shooting at MSU. When you were walking around campus that night, how was security? Did you anybody come up to you like, "Who are you? Or you're, you're known among fifty-three thousand people," or 
people were busy doing other things. What was what was security like on campus at that time, Bensi? Right. No, so obviously at that point there was still a perimeter, but you know, as you know, I happened to be a chaplain with the state police. You know, like Princeton is, is a chaplain with one of the police departments in Detroit. We were able to, you know, drive within the perimeter and park on campus and to walk around, you know, to, because at that point students were, you know, just getting out of the shelter in place and, you know, just walking around like in the days. We met like it was, it was actually a pretty cold evening and most of them were not even in their coats. And someone asked, someone said, are you not cold? They're like, I'm just on adrenaline right now. I don't even know if it's cold or hot right now. So like, they were, it was, it was a pretty horrific scene while we were walking around. You know, there, there weren't that many people. It was just, a, you know, it was just, you know, a handful of people just walking around just to get out. Because a lot of them were, you know, were literally hiding under their beds, you know, you know, like scrunched together and you just wanted to get out for, you know, for, for, for a few minutes. And that's when we were walking around and met a few of them, but it wasn't really that of a crowded scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take us now. So the day after and ensuing days since, how has the mood been? How's the mood changing? How are people developing? How are people getting back? And what's Chabad doing to on campus to help get people back? Right. So it's actually interesting that you asked that. Um, one of the news reporters actually said, so what are you doing? Uh, like, you know, I don't know if I'm doing or not doing at this, you know, at this point, we're more trying to be there, you know, more than doing, you know, because students just want, you know, who knows, who knows what they want right now. So the most important thing for us to do right now is just to be there available to them, you know, as we try and as the students try to heal together. So that next morning, the, the next day, we actually put up, uh, you know, a matzo ball soup at Chabad. And it was actually so beautiful how so many of the local stores started calling and offering what they could, you know, donate as students would come through the Chabad doors the next day because we did advertise that, you know, our doors was going to be open that whole next day, you know, for students to, you know, just come and, you know, be around and hang around and, you know, just be with other people. So, you know, just a bunch of local stores, you know, started donating drinks and and snacks. We had, you know, a matzo ball soup, whoever wanted to put on tefillin, we offered Trillin for anyone that wanted to put on Trillin. Um, so it was less doing and more being, I would say. And yeah, as you know, as the you know, as the week came to a close, most of the students, literally most of the students, already headed home for the weekend. Both students that live in Metro Detroit, as well as students that live, we have a lot of students that live in you know the Chicago land area. Students, you know, flew home to New York, to California, to Florida, Connecticut, New Jersey. Uh-huh. So we actually we were actually planning on leaving for Shabbos, but then on like Thursday, there were a handful of students that asked us if we were going to be home because they, 
you know, they, if they didn't want to, like, travel or drive, they just wanted to stay put. They asked us, you know, if we were hosting Shabbat dinner, if they could, you know, just come over. So that last Friday night, we actually had Shabbat dinner at our house, and we probably had about, you know, seven, eight students that were in town, you know, come over. And, you know, throughout the evening, some more trickled in. But it wasn't like an official Shabbat dinner. Okay, so um, so now so things have have uh, have gone. It's been a week, and classes started up again. They're playing basketball again. So are right. are people getting on with their lives? Do you see, or do you see a? Uh, is there like a new normal on campus? It's it's absolutely not a new normal. People are not really, you know, people are not back, you know, both physically back and you know mentally back yet. We know quite a few students that are still home and aren't, you know, don't aren't sure when they're coming back. Um, you know, it was actually a, a discussion about, you know, what type of Shabbat dinner we should do a Chabad this Friday night. You know, should we have this person come speak, that person share? And literally everyone on the student board was like, you know, this is not really the week that people should come, you know, speak and in speeches. Um, people, you know, just want to, you know, be with each other and have, you know, a relaxing, you know, you know, calm Shabbat dinner meal where, you know, we could try to, you know, continue the healing that everyone is looking for. Okay, indeed. Okay, so I'm going to, we're going to wish then, we're up, up, done with this part of the show, we're going to wish that the healing continues yeah. and wish you continued success, and uh, the next time we have you on, you'll tell us about some great <laughs> thing that Chabad on campus in Michigan State yeah. University has done. Rabbi Ben Sian Shemtov of Michigan State University, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, take care. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful, peaceful Shabbat. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Shul Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. It's Purim coming up. Purim means parody stuff. So the king of parody goes way back. And since this is our klezmer section, why don't we do klezmer parody? This is the immortal Mickey Katz schlepping my baby back home. Gee, but it's great to be coming home straight, schlepping my baby back home. We hooded and danced at the bar mitzvah ranch, schlepping my baby back home. She got loaded down at matzah ball gulch, loaded with gribbiness and schmaltz. She ate 60 blintzes, now I'm dying by inches, schlepping my baby back home. We stopped for a while, sie gibt mir a smile, and yet we're not in Kamul's shed. 
Then I start to pet, and that's when I get a frocking poon and man and kiss kiss a zest. We start back to town, my blood pressure is down. I'm fiddling, but it's whining in home. For father, no use, cause she cooked by me the goose. She lapping my baby back home. But it's fun, but this girl weighs a ton Slapping my baby back home She's lovely and sexy, but I'll settle for a taxi Slapping my baby back home Now we step along and I'm singing a song The title is The Tail is Gone Oh, the hours passing by say, I buy that poor guy Slapping my baby back home We stop for a while, she gets me a smile She looks just like Jaja from the movies I smelled her perfume, got the stick from the fumes this girl from the movies, the Malacha movies. We walked down a hill, just like Uncle and Jill, and that's when she had a big fall. She fell on me club, now my liver is chopped. She broke in the pain, she recently kissed Oh, fractured me to places, I don't think I'll make it. Hey, Shulfman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. That was Mickey Cat schlepping my baby back home. Next, this is Surya Natanel. Songs having a dream. Thank you. 
פשוט לכל אחד יש חלומות, תקוות תפוסות ומטרות שהוא חולם עליהן בלילות, בבקרים כל החיים, וזה מכיל כל כך בפנים כשמסבירים לנו שאין לנו סיכוי להקשיב. בוא נפרגן, אחד השני, בוא נעודד אותה מצליח אחי, אל תפסיק אתה תגיע לשם אין עליך. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-born infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, we've got the holiday of Purim coming up, and it happens to also be the portion of the week, which is Titzaveh, which can be found in chapter 29 and following in the book of Exodus. We have a general rule, and I've been kind of doing this uh, all year, that if there's a holiday and there's a Parsha, it's by no coincidence they must have something to do with each other. So what's the deal? So in the beginning of the portion of Tetzavah, it discusses how to make the clothes for the high priest in great detail. And uh, to the point where it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> I have seen renditions, artist renditions of the clothes of the high priest, and it is in such great detail that artisans from a different time periods around the world they all seem to be doing it exactly the same way so it seems it seems like right there the high priest wore these clothes specifically when the high priest worked in the temple these were very special clothing only the high priest wore them and only when the high priest was on duty he couldn't go walking around the neighborhood and no one else was allowed to put them on Each one of the high clothes pre each one of the high priest's clothes represented an atonement for the Jewish people. Let me go through all of them. There were eight of them, but like for example, the uh, the the hat, the turban that he wore, was to counteract people's um, um, arrogance. Okay, for example, we're gonna go through. We've we've done all eight in previous years. Now, let's skip to, to Purim. The story of Purim opens up, and the Jews are at a party. There's a celebration going on, a 180-day party that Ahasuerus, known as Xerxes, that, by the way, there's a find it very uh, 
cool that the Detroit Opera Theater is not that I go to opera, but the Detroit Opera Theater is uh, um, performing Xerxes, which Xerxes is the English name for Ahasuerus, and it's kind of like the Purim story from his point of view. And it was written by Handel, you know, what, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, however long ago Mr. Handel wrote it. So just somebody somebody to put that together like that and uh, check your local listings. So Ahasuerus made a party. And what was his party all about? He made this calculation based on the prophecies of, of Jeremiah that the Jews' exile in Babylon was going to last 70 years. And here it was, according to his calculation, this is year 71. The prophecy has not come true. He has beaten the Jewish God, and therefore he made this massive party with, you're talking, everybody in the entire kingdom, which stretched from Ethiopia to India, was invited to this party, 127 province, provinces, and he had 127 kitchens built so that people shouldn't have to eat foreign food. They could eat the food that they're used to eating because he wanted everybody to have a good time. There was even a kosher kitchen for the Jews. In the middle of the party, which was celebrating the fact that Ahasuerus had beaten the Jewish God, he paraded himself around in said clothes of the high priest. And this is where the problem began, because at that point, what the Jews should have done is pick themselves and walked out in mass in protest. What did they do? They sat there. Some people sat there because, listen, don't make waves. This is his country. We're guests. We're subservient people in, in Persia at that time, as it is in Persia now. Jews are considered second-class citizens. Don't, don't, don't make fuss. Okay? Some people that stayed at this party actually enjoyed themselves. They had a good time. And it was at that point that the Almighty said, this is what's happening and you're having a good time. You know what? Let's put you to the test. And that's when this whole thing with, uh, read the book of Esther, with Haman and Mordechai and Esther and Ahasuerus and uh, all kinds of intrigue. It's a really good story. And uh, there are many renditions on it. You can go on, Gutu, on uh, YouTube and type in the book of Esther and tons of stuff will just come up. Various difference. There's even, uh, I think on Vimeo, there's a puppet show that my wife made when my daughter, who is now an adult and living on her own, was, I think, maybe in third grade. But, you know, that's the way the, the, the Internet is, is once it's there, it's there. But what's the point of all this then? Jews need to know when to stand up for themselves, to take charge of their own destiny, not to rely on people. As the verse says, that we should rely on the Almighty and not rely on the fantasies of man. Don't trust people, trust God, is the expression. 
Meaning, now you can, you know, if you're asking directions for, from somebody and you can say where, you know, points you in the right direction, that's okay. But don't think that whatever you need is simply going to come from a person. No. Ultimately, you have to think behind it. How is the Almighty going to get this that I need to me? And there are many messengers for, for the Almighty. And it's not that this person is doing this for you, which, by the way, you should still say thank you, because this person has now become a messenger for God. But it's the Almighty behind this person who is facilitating that this person should do this for you. So you have to remember always to thank Hashem. And always be aware that Hashem is the one in charge. And it could very well be, if you have this attitude that the Almighty is the one in charge, things will just happen. You won't need other people. As we see that it took a lot of uh, damage control by Mordechai and Esther to make it such that they were able to overcome their adversaries. But it took a lot. It took, it took a, almost a year of uh, politicking and also entreating in, in to the Almighty. So best take it the easy way and just don't don't even go there. If so, you see something that's wrong, stand up. If you can correct it, correct it. If you can't, walk out. Speaking of walking out, before you walk out, because we're getting up to the end of the hour, so if you'd like to get in touch with me, the way to do that is to go to rabbifinman.com. There you will find right on the home page a way to contact yours truly. And if you have any questions or comments, anything, criticism about the show, I love when people tell me what they don't like about the show because then I get to make the show a better show. So it's, it can always be made better. I got a comment about something. I'm not going to tell you what they said. Got a comment about somebody about a month ago. We made that improvement, and I'm thankful to that person, and I hope they hear a difference. What else is on RabbiFinman.com? We have archived editions of the radio show. We have the U-Parsha, the E-Parsha, all different types of things, and we have the very important donations page. We're at the end of February. We have not yet paid February. Next week, we'll be starting March. March is our birthday month. So um, we used to do incentives, and the incentive I used to give was is a CD. But giving somebody a CD right now would probably be the same thing like uh, giving them an A-track. Probably have the same effect. I don't mean people have CD players still, but so we was. But if you want to, if you want to donate and you want to say to some Rabbi Finman, send me a CD. I, we still have some CDs, and we used to have uh, a couple thousand CDs. And uh, we managed to to uh, offload them, as you might say. And now we have a bunch. I don't know exactly how many. A little little bookcase full of CDs that just they're collecting dust. <laughs> if you if uh, you want, I can I can send them to you. But that would be that you send us a donation. This is like a quid pro quo going over here. But regardless, go to rabbifinman.com, Hit the donations page. Donate whatever your heart's desire. If you're not for the internet giving type, then may I suggest dropping your donation into an envelope and mailing it to The Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48237.
No, 48220 is Ferndale. Let me try this whole thing at the top. Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Just to make sure that everybody got it clear. Okay, so there's a story. There was a family that lived in suburban Kozhnitz. Kozhnitz is located many miles, many, many miles east of Gross Point Farms. And at that time that the story took place, I think you're talking 1850s or so, there was somebody there by the name of Yisrael of Kozhnitz who was known as the Magid of Kozhnitz, a very important Hasidic leader. In suburban Kozhnitz, there was a poor farmer who could barely make ends meet. In fact, he couldn't make ends meet. When it came time for Purim, so Purim is supposed to be a festive day. He didn't have anything to make it festive. You're supposed to have a big meal. You're supposed to give charity. You're supposed to give gifts of food to a friend. He had nothing. He did not even have money for a half a loaf of bread for him and his family. So he figured, okay, you know what? I'll go do the last mitzvah, which is to hear the reading of this, the book of Esther. And I'll hear it at that time. The, the uh, Rebbe, the, the Magad of Kojnitz, read it himself. And so he went to the, marched himself into shul, and uh, he heard the Megillah reading. It was very inspiring. And afterwards, everybody went to shake hands with the rabbi. And uh, the rabbi said to him, you're so-and-so from outside of the town. And he said, yes. He said, why didn't you bring me Meshallah Manus? So he just like, look, he became like shocked. He's like, I should bring the Rebbe Meshallah Manus. I haven't even got food on my table. So the the rabbi said, no, no, next year you'll bring me Meshallah Manus. He says, but in the meantime, come to my house and we'll say Elohim. So everybody was invited, and they were telling stories. The, the Magid was the Magid was he's called the Magid Magid the preacher, and he was telling all kinds of stories and insights. And they were knocking back, knocking a couple back. And this guy walked out of the house; he was feeling no pain. So I had an idea. So he went to the wine merchant, and he said, "Give me a bottle of wine, which is suitable for the Rebbe, and I'll, on credit, and I will pay you back." And if I don't pay you back, today's Purim. It's a gift. So the guy looked at him incredulously, and then he just started laughing and said, okay. Then he went to the fruit and vegetable man, and uh, he said, listen, give me a couple apples that I should be able to give them to the Rebbe. And I'll pay you. Give me, extend me credit, and I'll, of course I'll pay you back. But if I don't pay you back... Today's Purim. So he also laughed and gave him the two apples. So now he's got, you're supposed to give two gifts of food. So he's got a bottle of wine, he's got apples. So he ran to the Maggot of Kojnitz and presented him and said, Rebbe, here's Mashalach Manis. So the Rebbe took them and smiled and said, may it be that you give me Mashalach Manis every year for a long time. Okay. And off he went. And he started to go home and he said, wait. If I could do that for that, I could do this for this. So he went to the fishmonger and said, have you got a pickled herring? The same deal. It's poor him. I'll pay you back. If not, it's that. The guy gave him a pickled herring. And he went to the baker and he uh, got him, got a couple of loaves of bread and the same way on credit. But if it's not, it's, uh, it's poor him. So then 
And uh, he got something to drink. Um, oh, he got some kind of alcohol, like Slivovitz, which is like nasty stuff. But uh, I guess if the people in that area, they lived on this stuff. So especially from what happens next with this story. So he comes home, and the kids are all like dejected. It's Purim. Everybody's celebrating Purim. They're not celebrating Purim. So he puts the the big herring, and he puts the big loaf of bread, and he puts the, the Slivovitz on the table. And they said, it's Purim. And they... Everybody was so elated and so happy, okay? And they were started dancing, and they're eating the bread and the herring, and they're eating. <laughs> the kids are knocking back the Slivovitz. I don't know how old these kids were in this story. Suddenly, they heard a knock on the door, a banging on the door. They opened it up. It was a non-Jewish peasant farmer from down the street. He was bloody and bruised and beaten up. And they brought him in, and they gave him some of the Slivovitz, and they washed his wounds, and they gave him a little to eat, and they said, what happened? And he said, it's my no-good-for-nothing son. He demanded money from me. He said he wanted part of his inheritance now. And I told him I wasn't going to give it to him. And then he, so he beat me up. And so now I'm not giving him anything. But because you're so nice to me, I'm going to give you my inheritance. And he said, come, I'll show you where it's buried. And he showed him a spot in the forest. There was a tree. And he said, if you dig down right here, this is where you'll find all of my money. A couple of weeks went by. The guy died. They dug up the, the box. And indeed, there was a formidable sum of money there. This peasant was no fool. And he had enough to live off for the rest of his life, this farmer. And every year, as long as he and the Maggot of Koshness were alive, he brought him Shalach Manus on Purim. That's going to do it for this week. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Take care. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.